Hi guys, and welcome to another episode of Pickles and Vodka Podcast. This is the first episode of 2019. Very exciting. I'm ready for the new year. I don't know about you. Bring it on. (laughs) This is my sister Caroline. Hey. You guys might know her from her Instagram takeover a few days ago. We have been traveling cross country for the last week or so. I don't know. How long has it been? It's felt like forever. It's felt like forever. I score and <laughs> two years ago. <laughs> um, no, it's been since the 26th. The 26th. So as we are recording this, it is December 30th. Wow, that's only four days. It's felt like an eternity. <laughs> yeah, that's oh crazy. Oh my God. You guys that's don't... nonsense. Don't listen to the calendar. You guys don't know what I've been through personally. Caroline has probably been through more because she's been driving my stressed ass around. But I'm the calm one. Caroline is the calm so... one in this situation. Okay, so we left St. Louis on the 26th and spent the first night in South Dakota. After the Badlands. The we Badlands. traveled through the Badlands in the snow. Yeah, it was it was bad. <laughs> snowing nonstop. I am not used to driving, period, since I don't own a car. And driving in the snow, forget it. I, I was just so stressed out. You were. I was so sad. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. So we drove through the snow for, like, 14 hours that day. Spent the night in Montana. Montana was better. But oh, then it was, it was gorgeous. First of all, like, the mountains were the backdrop of everywhere you looked. Our Airbnb host in Montana was this sweet old lady named Phyllis. Phyllis. <laughs> she made us breakfast and she was like, I wish you guys could stay longer. Yeah, she um, was the best. Shout out Everyone to Phyllis. Everyone needs a Phyllis in their life. Everyone does. I yeah. just felt like supported. I know. <laughs> so yeah, Montana was great. Um, we crossed through a bunch of states that day. I don't even know. Idaho, Idaho uh, Wyoming. The corner of Wyoming. And we saw Buffalo, and so we got super excited. And then we kept thinking we saw Buffalo, and it was cows. It was just cows. But I think one time we saw One buffalo. time it was really Buffalo. I really want to think they were Buffalo. Like, we could have been wrong. I, I took a video, and I was like, oh, my God, I'm looking at Buffalo right now. And then <laughs> I sent it to everyone I knew, and then it turns out they were cows. Those are cows. But no we did see a bald cows. eagle. Yeah, no we offense saw... to our, the cows, but... Buffalo are really cool. Oh, I don't fucking care about cows. <laughs> uh, but we saw a bald eagle in the wild. Like, two of them. Two of them. Yeah. And that was... That was cool. That just made my heart... Sore? Like, Did it America. make your heart sore? Yeah. <laughs> but then It we... literally made my heart sore. <sighs> but then we got more snow. And that was a bummer. And then we finally got to Washington... And then we had to go through a pass, and that was more and more snow. The worst ever. People were crashing left and right. Someone, Couldn't... like, turned around in front of us. Yeah, someone, on a it was crazy. Highway. It was, like, apocalyptic. Yeah, it was really scary. This Jeep actually was facing us. It was just, like, <laughs> it was just like an hour and a half outside of Seattle. And we were like, mm. is this ever going to end? But we finally got here. It was like Bird Box. <laughs> I don't want to talk about Bird Box. We watched Bird Box last night. I don't. I don't want to talk about it. We You're won't. not allowed to talk about For it on my of podcast. You who haven't had the pleasure of seeing Bird Box. I'm not. This isn't a movie podcast. I'll try not to divert. Um, <laughs> but yeah, we're finally in Seattle. I am getting my room set up in my new house, and um, it's a work in progress. But I love it here so far. It's so cozy. It's so cozy. I, I'm glad there's no snow. Me too. Rain is better than snow. This girl took a walk today, and she was out there like in, what, an hour? I don't know. And you I came back, and you were sweating, and yeah. you were taking and off everything. Today's been beautiful. <laughs> yeah. Which sucks, because Caroline hurt her knee somehow unloading stuff out of the rental van, mm-hmm. and she hasn't been able to walk all day. So she's just been chilling on my mattress watching Netflix. The theory of everything. <laughs> I'm just going to throw <laughs> in all these go. movies. There you go. I should get okay. a movie. Caroline, you're oh, not... No. Okay. Stop talking. Let's get into our topic. So that's how our week has been. Today, we're super excited to talk about a topic that's near and dear to us, which is... Super exciting. You want to say what it is, Caroline? Is it family dynamics? Family upbringing and how it affects your mental health. Mm -hmm. Before we dive into it, do you want to kind of tell the listeners about yourself? Yeah. A little bit? Yeah. So, um, I am 23. I tell people I'm not really from anywhere. We were both Navy brats, so we moved around a lot. I'm an artist. I have completed some college. 
was kind of late to go. I worked a lot in my adult or early adult years. And um, art is really what I want to do in life, so I'm very enthusiastic about that. Um, really into fitness and weightlifting. Have a boyfriend in Charlotte, and my whole life is there. Yeah, I'm really close to my family, but I have had a lot of struggles in my earlier life or like teen years, ever since I was 14, I'd say. Had uh, body image issues and a lot of self-confidence issues that have probably lingered the longest out of anything, and it just has really affected my life. But I'm happy to say I'm in a really good place right now, I think. I think you can always get better, which is kind of an optimistic way of looking at things. Everyone says I'm super optimistic and bubbly. and You're the most positive person I know, I think. Yeah, it's like it's easy for me to have this bright outlook on life, which I think is fortunate because obviously not everyone's that way. Yeah. Um, but I definitely have my share of struggles from 14 to even like 20, 21. It was a really dark place. Definitely struggled with anorexia, um, which I think led to some depression. I was never diagnosed with either. I was too afraid to go to a doctor about anything, but I did go to a therapist for a while. When did you go to a therapist? That was from, ooh, I want to say my sophomore year, so maybe when I was like ooh, 15, 16, or maybe 17. Okay. I wasn't there. Yeah. So I, you know, I, I didn't tell her the truth about anything, but I did tell her like struggles with self-confidence I was having in school and... Um, I think she probably caught on. This is kind of like backtracking, but mm -hmm. it makes me sad that so many people can't tell their therapist what's really on their mind. Yes, like, I so agree with that. Like, the only way they can help you is if you're open to them. And so many people, it's, it's tragic that they're just ashamed of problems they have like that. Like, I haven't openly told most people in my life about I that period. I still find it hard to be honest with medical professionals. Mm-hmm. To be for honest. whatever reason, I just it's feel like, like they have an agenda. Shame, yeah. I think, yeah. We've you talked in an earlier podcast about maybe an agenda. Like I remember a question about that. Yeah, someone asked a question about how how can you tell if they're really looking out for you as opposed to just or it's just like a pill for every yeah fixing a problem. <laughs> but yeah. yeah, um, you were in therapy, but you didn't really tell the truth. No, and that was like sixteen. You said. Yeah, uh, 16, 17. So, you know, I went to this, um, I went from being homeschooled till ninth grade for me. Oh, tell them about, mm. I don't think I ever mentioned this on the podcast. Ooh. We were homeschooled. <gasps> you didn't mention oh that. Oh my God. Okay. I'm so excited <laughs> to just dive into this. Yes. Okay. So our homeschool life, first of all, let me start with saying that everybody homeschools different ways. Yeah. Some are super involved with homeschool groups or, you know, groups of any kind, um, we knew one family that would send their stuff to some professor or teacher in another state, and um, they were involved in tons of homeschool groups, and a lot of homeschoolers do rallies and debating or whatever clubs they're in. They're socialized. Very socialized. That um, wasn't us, though. Was not us. <laughs> yeah. Um, at one point, we had an online teacher, <laughs> but yeah. that was considered very different. We, um, from kids... We were involved with church, but that was probably the biggest extent of our social lives, I'd say. Like, every week we would go to that, um, but we didn't really get onto the world much. And we were just kind of taught that certain things are... The word was secular, and that was, like, a bad okay, thing. Okay, for, for some more background information. Yeah. Um, there's seven kids in our family. Uh, I'm the oldest. Caroline is number three. Woohoo! Big family. Um, like Caroline said, we're... My, our dad was in the Navy, so we traveled around a lot. That was one reason we were homeschooled. The other reason was um, our parents were very religious. My mom, in particular, wanted us to have a good religious background. And, and not, not to be badly influenced. Yeah, she didn't, want us, be out there. she didn't want us to be hurt by like public school or whatever. Mm -hmm. um, very positive meaning there. Or mm -hmm. she, she meant well. Good intentions. Good intentions. Sure. That's what I'm trying to say. Yeah. Very good intentions. Because you do hear about kids getting bullied or kids going down a, a dangerous path. And well, yeah, but that can happen anywhere. Exactly. That's, like, that's the thing. So, yeah, we were homeschooled up until 2008. So, from, like, 1994 to 2008, yeah. our mom homeschooled us. Yep. And there was one point where Carolyn and I were teaching our younger siblings like, I taught one of my sisters to read. Caroline taught the other one. 
I taught the youngest how to read and write. I had phonics with her, and I am so proud of that to this yeah, day. Yeah, it was great. Like, how many <laughs> it did people... give us opportunities yeah. some people just never have. Obviously, you can't look at anything from just one perspective. It had its good points and its bad points. We came to school. Um, we tested very well. Yeah, so basically... I could have gone into 10th grade, and I chose to go 9th because I wanted to be with people my own age. Wait, you're fast-forwarding. Um, <laughs> so as kids, we had these very Christian school books. Oh, yeah. On, that um, curriculum was Yeah, so intense. the curriculum we used was very, very conservative Christian. Their approach on science and history was very problematic. I think it was problematic because it was one-sided. Yeah, um, they didn't explain other views. They were just like, this is what we, how we believe the world works because the Bible says so. And as a result, I I speak for myself when I say that I feel very behind my peers in terms of math and science. Mm-hmm. But on the other hand, reading, uh, we read a lot. We had hours during the day to just go off and read. I mean, that's what I did. I would read for hours and I still consider myself of very strong in that area yeah the focus was very much on english and the arts the fine arts and um we they gave us a lot of freedom to go out and be kids you know yeah. play in the woods um we had a few friends little <laughs> little neighborhood kids and um, yeah we weren't totally closed off from society but um for me at least i was very introverted and so same yeah we were both very introverted and being homeschooled on top of that we just kind of kept to ourselves yeah and... I think we were more introverted than we realized at least in my case I definitely was I I'm you know fast forwarding a little bit but I went to school eventually in ninth grade thinking I was just normal but it turned out I was very shy yeah so um by the time 2008 rolled around I was about to be a senior in high school and Caroline was uh basically sophomore level but and, uh, I went into my freshman class. Yeah, yeah. So our mom yeah. and dad made the de- decision to enroll us in a private Christian school. And I had the option of, like, I just had one year left of high school. So I could have graduated homeschooled, but I wanted the experience. Like, if I just have one year in school, that, that'll that be better than nothing before college. And Caroline, like she said, like, you wanted to just start high school off freshman year. I was super excited to be going to school. I was nervous because I had anxiety over it. Any kid in my situation might have, but I was so excited. I thought I was the most personable person. I didn't, you know, I just was not aware of my shyness. And I was just like, this is going to be the best. Um, I, to this day, I still appreciate going to classes. Like, I always loved learning. So I was actually really excited about that part, too. And just having a broader range of things that I get to learn. Because my mom is the one who taught us, and she didn't know thoroughly know all the subjects she taught us yeah um, she, like she graduated you know, from high school <laughs> and I uh, didn't didn't really have any higher education which is fine but I don't know if she ever really wanted or was equipped to be a teacher to like seven kids I think not to such a broad range of subjects like I couldn't do it I could never do it in a million years yeah and I went to college like I have mad respect for her yeah and I think me too. I'm glad she d- decided to call it quits when she did, because uh, our younger siblings have been in school most of their lives. They yeah. barely remember being homeschooled. So Near the end of it, it got very unstructured for me, at least, because um, my brother and I basically, they, she, my mom had to skip a grade, and I went, basically I skipped fifth grade, and I went to be in my brother's area of learning, my older brother, so that's how... I tested into being a sophomore because I was with him in all our classes and we had this new online learning program. She was like, okay, just go do that. (laughs) And it was like kind of, we didn't have the discipline. It was all over the place. Yeah, basically. I'm trying to explain it and even that sounds I mean, we don't want to talk about school forever. That doesn't really have Mm -hmm. a ton to do with what we're going to talk about. So mental health. Mm. You want to talk about... um, Maybe going into school and how that affected us, or maybe everything with our family that was going on at the time. Because I, think I mean, that's okay, the so when is the factor. first time you started feeling different? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, because we've felt different our whole lives. Mm-hmm. And I kind of want to explore how that came to be. 
Yeah, I remember little instances from when I was younger, like 13, 14. Um, actually, even when I was like nine, like I had this friend who went to public school and she was um, friends with a ton of kids and listened to all the music, like this Black Eyed Peas song that had just come out. And I was like, y- you can listen to this. Like, <laughs> that's not filtered. We were only allowed to listen to <laughs> classical music or Christian music. Yeah, or like kids songs or, or oldies. Um, they had they liked the Beatles. Like, yeah, we weren't allowed to listen to modern music. Pretty much, it was considered secular. Secular, which was music. the word. Yeah, um, <laughs> the S word. Yeah, so that's right. So, um, I remember being kind of jealous and kind of feeling this insecurity where I wasn't at their level. Like, I remember once I went over to my friend's house and I was wearing this chunky striped sweater. And she had me change to go to the movies. Like, I secretly changed into this butterfly shirt of hers. What? Oh, yeah. So I secretly changed. And she shopped at, like, Limited 2, which was a thing back then. It was, like, the Justice. Justice. Oh, my God. All the (laughs) cool kids shopped at Justice. For all you who remember Limited (laughs) 2, shout out. But, yeah. um, And that made me realize, is there something wrong? Like, am I not like other kids? Is there something to be ashamed of? Oh, my God. Remember our neighbors in Chicago? We, we moved to Chicago when we were both, like, in middle school age, and I remember our neighbors were super cool. It was a girl about my age and then her oldest sister, and they invited us to the mall one day. I remember just being really shocked that they would do something like that because we looked really dorky. We, weren't, we didn't dress stylishly at all. We, mm. we weren't even allowed to wear jeans for the longest time because they were too, like, figure-flattering. Yeah. I mean, we were just two dorky-looking, awkward homeschool girls, and then these beautiful, cool girls invited us to the mall. And I remember being in the car with them on the way, and they were playing the pop station. And I just remember feeling awkward as fuck. Like, I didn't Mm. know what to talk about to relate. I didn't... They asked... I think they asked, like, what kind of music do you like? And I didn't really know what to say. Like, Mm. oh, I listen to the Lord of the Rings soundtrack every night. (laughs) (laughs) Like, it was just a really painfully awkward experience. Hmm. From my perspective, maybe our upbringing made me feel this way. Um, I just felt everyone else was other. And if any girl was even a little older than me or, I guess, more acclimated with the world, I felt like they were other. Like, they were older than me. They were more experienced. And I couldn't relate to them. I still feel so, like that as a 26-year-old Yeah. It's person. rough. Like, like, it's it's isolating when you can't connect with people, even when you're with them. Like, you're still isolated in some way. Yeah, like, so, we yeah. were sitting in the car with them, and we, we I think we both felt removed from the situation. Yeah. Because we were different, yeah. and that, that feeling of being different has just always been around, I yeah, think. Yeah, you're kind of ashamed to assert yourself and make your voice heard. Because you feel like you'll slip up or they won't relate to you about it or so, or you just honestly don't have anything in your head that will relate to what they're asking about. Like, we didn't know about what music was out. We didn't really have our interests figured out that much. I was in art school, which was awesome because that was something that was really important to me. It was a big interest I had. I got to be in like soccer and basketball. We were put in sports for kids when we were younger. So kind of had our interests, but I never really felt free to explore whatever I wanted to. For me, those felt kind of like obligations, like our parents put oh, yeah. us on those <laughs> so they could say, oh, they're socializing. Yeah, but we want them to be healthy, so here's some sports. Which, um, you know, kudos to them. That's great. I'm glad um, we had that at least. But personally, I did not like the sports. And um, Caroline was an art. I did piano for like 12 years, mm-hmm. and that was great, but... I think we never really got to carve out our lives how we wanted or have a plan for the future with what we were doing. I wanted to quit my art lessons and my, especially my soccer and basketball lessons so many times, but it was like what we did as kids because they put it in front of us. and That's what you're supposed to do. Yeah, and I think having a lot of kids, they um, put us in the same teams and it was easy to pick up and drop off. Um, again, we weren't completely isolated. Like, to be fair, though, I think... That doesn't just apply to homeschoolers. I think a lot of people can relate to that, like being made to engage in activities, like extracurricular activities when they don't really want to. Yeah. And it's hard when you're a kid because you don't really know what you want. Yeah. And so 
it's like, does it help you or not if they put you in stuff like this? I don't know. I did feel like if I had told them, like, hey, I want voice lessons or I want whatever other dance lessons or whatever it was, they wouldn't have been able to do that for us just because they couldn't afford it and there were so many of us. Um, It was just not really an option. So you felt different growing up, as did I. When did you start feeling like things changed? Yeah, I started, like I mentioned about when I was younger with the shirt, that's just one little instance. I always felt like I didn't quite measure up, um, like at a slumber party with all these other girls um, my one friend knew, and they all had their little bikinis, and I was in this one piece, oh and I was, I was feeling ashamed of how I looked. Um, I don't know if it was body issues or just the fact that my swimsuit style was different, and Instead of yeah, <laughs> and and the thing is, I stood out, and I think we all did in the way we dressed and acted, and maybe that's not the safest thing for a kid to stand out so much, like beyond even what we comprehended, because it just we didn't really ask to stand out, we weren't really prepared to, we were shy, so yeah. when we did stand out, it was like hmm, I just feel like I'm like kind of ostracized from everybody else in a yeah. way, so. I remember when I was like 14, 13, um, I would just see pictures of myself and be like, my face is so round, my arms are so flabby. And I think I wasn't proud of my personality. And so I focused a lot on my body and how I looked to people because if they could appreciate how I looked without knowing me and knowing how shy I was and everything, I would be more likable. Um, so you wanted your body to be the source of your confidence? I think so, yeah. And I definitely make that connection now because... Um, Hindsight is everything. It really is. Like, I, I just was so shy. And once that was brought to my attention, like, once I realized that being in school um, in ninth grade, I was like, here's a solution. And I remember um, I mentioned I had anorexia never diagnosed, but I'm, I'm just sure about it. Like, it was terrible at one point for many years, actually. Um, it was just all in my head, like, couldn't bring myself to eat, had severe, like, feelings about food that were very negative, and in ninth grade, I got really sick, and I lost some weight, and then I looked at myself, and I was like, oh, I like her better that way, and from that moment on, I... I don't even remember exactly how I slipped into that, but I ate less and less. And I just thought it was not a problem at first. I think that's how most people get into it. Yeah. You don't, nobody ever decides. Like, yeah. I'm going to take this on. It, it actually didn't start with what I would call a diet. Like, a lot of people start that way, but I just didn't see any harm in it. I was like, oh, we eat tacos and cheese. And I was like, this stuff is unhealthy. And I just started cutting more and more out before I even realized how different I was becoming. It just was a slippery slope, I guess. There were a lot of very sad feelings that came with that. Christina and I shared a room for a long time. And I remember just feeling less like we connected. Well, I mean, yeah, I feel like that started when I was like 15. Yeah, and you were going through some very serious problems yourself. Yeah, I mean, I was self-injuring, and then Mm -hmm. I was dealing with bulimia and trying to hide it unsuccessfully. And like she said, like, we shared a room, and so I'm sure you knew what was going on, but we never talked about it. Yeah, and And we used to be basically best friends. Like, I would always ask her, like, tell me your secrets. Let's talk about <laughs> what's going on in our lives. And um, she would just clam up because obviously she was going through some terrible things and I didn't understand. I felt kind of shunned, I guess. Um, you know, we had someone else in the family who was going through a lot as well. And a lot of our parents' focus was on those stresses in our lives. Um, and yeah. so maybe I felt like Nobody saw me. Yeah, I definitely feel like for a while their focus was on me or our other sibling. And you're a very, you're a peacemaker. Yeah, that's what they always called me. Yeah, you like to maintain the status quo and make sure everyone gets along and that there's no conflict. Mm -hmm. Um, At least that's how I always saw it. Yeah. Oh, I just had this memory um, that I've thought of throughout the years. I always wanted everyone to get along, first of all. 
And I was also a stickler for doing what was right. So, so I would kind of be a tattletale, a goody two-shoes, goody-goody. Like, that's what my, my siblings would call me. And so I wanted to be everyone's friend, but it kind of backfired on me by wanting everything to be right. I remember one night I was just crying in bed, and I went up to my parents' room and knocked on the door shyly. <laughs> I was like, nobody loves me. And I just had that belief in my mind. How old were you? I was young when this happened, maybe seven or something. And I was like, nobody loves me. And they kept saying, yes, they do. They do. I was like, no, they really don't. And do you feel like that stuck with you? I think it did. Like I was kind of unwanted or whenever I tried to do something right, it backfired. So, I mean, there were some negative feelings all throughout my childhood like that. Yeah, I mean... Our family has a lot of issues, but... um... Yeah, and so that was, like, more, like, self-esteem stuff. Like, I counted on other people liking me to feel happy about myself, and I was very unhappy with myself. (laughs) So, okay, backtracking a little bit. Yeah. So we shared a room, and you felt like no one noticed you and your problems. So when I left for college, uh, when I was 17, I think that's when your issues escalated, because, I mean... I wasn't really around when Caroline's eating disorder came up, but I remember looking at pictures and noticing that you lost a lot of weight. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But again, we never really talked about it. Yeah. Like, I always thought Christina's going through her problems. If she knows about mine, things will get worse for her. And I was just, even if we were closer and even if she wasn't going through problems, I don't think I would have told her. I think it was such shame that I felt about it like I wanted to be the golden child because that's kind of what the trend was with me like I never caused problems um I was always helpful with my siblings um I didn't really have any troubled teen years as in causing my parents a bunch of strife so I was kind of like oh I don't want anyone to know what I'm going through because they're gonna think I'm just a problem child they won't love me as much. And that's kind of what I was going to ask you yeah. next. Um, this this episode is about, like, family upbringing. What do you think... Do, what role do you think our upbringing had in your eating disorder? Yeah. And also, like, how do you think mom and dad felt when you were going through this? I think it had a big role on developing that because... um. I don't know. There were different instances throughout childhood that made me feel kind of weird about food. Um, Our parents always stressed moderation. They would say, have moderation. Um, Don't get seconds. Have moderation. They would... um, I feel like there was a lot of fat shaming in our family. Yeah, I was going to say, like, they would kind of point out, like, big fat Americans, as they would probably call them. Yeah. um, They'd be, like, grossed out by them. There was no um, attention given to body positivity. I know that wave has come kind of recently, but still um, didn't really appreciate all kinds of beauty. It was like a very narrow. (laughs) Yeah. And, um, you know, my mom, maybe in spite of herself, maybe she didn't realize she made a lot of comments about losing weight. And um, she was always very thin. Her friends would be like, oh, you always drop the baby weight so fast. They would always comment about how tiny she was. And maybe I kind of caught on to that and wanted it for myself and I think our religious background kind of contributed to it as well oh my goodness let's talk about that Um, Uh, okay guys this is a very hot topic for both of us and (laughs) I don't want to alienate any of our religious listeners but this is our experience and how it has affected us and I'll say I do consider myself a Christian still um like I actually hold on to a lot of those beliefs yeah um, in kind of a different context maybe but I do Um, So, with all that said, we were raised with uh, modesty, was the word. Modesty culture. Yeah. You might be familiar with it. How would you describe it to people who aren't familiar with it? Basically, um, in order to keep particularly men from straying from a righteous path, you should draw attention to your countenance. Countenance. Your face. (laughs) Your face and your bright smile and your beautiful eyes. and All about countenance. Yeah, which alone is about just physical beauty, which some people are genetically prone to or not. So, And, and then the, the enemy of countenance is your body. Yep. 
and we were <laughs> blessed in the chest. We were like, <laughs> um, oh my gosh. This is literally what our mom would say. Yeah. Sorry, mom. I know you're listening to this, but it's hilarious. And it's kind of great. But <laughs> she would be like, ladies, you're blessed. So you got to cover up that chest. Yeah. Like she. <laughs> because we all have like, well, me and Caroline have like double D's. And so, yeah, even from when I was, like, 10. Yeah, from a very early age. And so she would just constantly remind us... That men loved it, but that we should cover up because of that. It was con- very conflicting views. Like, you're blessed and you should be proud of this, but also... For one person. It's a bad thing and you need to cover it up or else you're going to get the wrong kind of attention. Yeah, which put all the responsibility on us versus, like, how the culture around us acted but also the main thing to me was that it made me very ashamed of being bigger chested of having a butt of and showing it. any of that like I remember getting minimizer bras and thinking like oh how can I look straighter like a yeah. straighter shape not and curvy the thing is guys are going to give you attention no matter how you're dressed no matter what your body looks like I remember walking True. down the street with another homeschool friend and we were both wearing baggy shirts floor length skirts and we still got cat called yeah it doesn't matter That's a whole other thing we could go into. oh yeah we're not going to talk um, too much about the that but there was definitely a double standard um, modesty culture was a huge thing and i think it really affected both of our body images and to this day i can't really feel any sexual feelings or any you know dress provocatively even without feeling mm-hmm. this deep sense of shame Oh, man. See, I fortunately was able to kind of get past that. And maybe I even <laughs> went the other end a little. Like, I was like, woo, <laughs> I can wear what I want. I can flaunt these curves. But, yeah, I realized it really could garner feelings of shame, of course. Like, I do think that was a huge facilitator for all my problems with body image and what I thought of myself whether I was a good or bad person yeah like even tighter fitting clothing was considered just terrible and if if you see someone with that they must have bad judgment they must be trying to call the wrong attention to themselves like you can't be sexy and have a nice personality like that was the kind of thought personality was totally tied to appearances yeah that's I think this is the big connector in all this personality was connected to physical appearance yeah um and because I was so shy I thought maybe my physical appearance will fix this and also I thought like maybe I'll seem like a better person if I minimize these curves that are so scandalous and so terrible like I didn't want to be like a temptress (laughs) you know a Jezebel a Jezebel (laughs) a Delilah yeah more like a Delilah yeah so, oh. shout out to anyone who gets the Bible references. Oh my god. But, um, I hope you don't. <laughs> yeah. So, um, that was a big problem. It wasn't about the personalities. It was about how you dress. And things that I see now is so shallow. Like, there's so much more than so, those things. So, how did you eventually recover? Recovery was a very long process. First of all, I was so deep into it. At one point that I thought, oh, I will, I will never recover. I just imagined myself one day. I always wanted to be a mom. I always wanted kids, a boyfriend. And I never dated throughout high school, probably because of everything going on. And I was shy and who knows. But anyway, I was just so insecure about myself. And I thought, I deep down, I want these things more than anything someday. I want a house with a family that I've raised myself. And I want a loving boyfriend or husband and... I want to be happy about myself and I want to go to the gym and be strong. And I just pictured this woman that didn't look like me at all, but I Mm. pictured her and I thought maybe I can be her someday, just not now. And I always had that in my mind, like this woman that was thriving and happy with life and not hiding up in a room journaling and sleeping most of the day because she was too tired for anything. Um, Like I would sleep most of the day. I would journal, then throw it away because I knew someone would read it. I would just think all the time about food and I would weigh myself so many times in a day. Anyway, it was just such a trap I was in. I just never thought I could get out, but I hoped I would. And I think it's those feelings of hope and longing that helped me finally get out. Somewhere in me, I knew I could do it if I 
I don't know if I tried hard enough or if I accepted that I would gain weight or... But that's so terrifying at the same time. Oh, gosh, it And it was. feels so out of reach when you're in the throes of it. Yeah. Like, just the magnitude of how hard that would be. I just turned down the idea for years. And we're talking crucial developmental ages, too. Like, I was 14 to 21, I think. And it just, you know, who knows how that affected me, but I was just in this terrible place and um it was so gradual how I healed I never woke up and said I'm going to heal from this I never really meant to but it was kind of a day by day like listening to the other voice in my head that said just like you can do it um I remember going on forums that were kind of focused on healing and reading recovering stories and thinking yeah you're gonna gain weight but your body will balance out well that's a huge first step is like finding the right type of support yeah the right type of materials because there's healthy ones and there's unhealthy ones it's true too like I think it's really good that you sought out the healthy ones could we talk a little bit about your recovery too um while we're recovery (laughs) just kidding actually yeah like the way you were forced to quote recover they put you in an institution and you had to gain weight there like they forced you to eat well so when I was hospitalized at the age of 17 I think it was a very, I don't consider that recovery because it was very short term. it wasn't. And when I got out, it just got worse when I went to college. And then I left that college and I lived in Austin for like five years and the eating disorder kind of just went away for a while. Mm -hmm. And like Caroline said, I didn't wake up one day and just decide to recover. It just kind of happened. I know in a previous episode with Bianca, she kind of said that it just happens sometimes. Like... Mm you are in the right place at the right time and you're in a good mental state and you just kind of mm-hmm. give yourself over to the feelings and yeah I don't know and I became vegan after moving with a in with a relative apart from my family I think being apart from my family first of all kind of helped because oh, yeah. I was afraid of them seeing me gain weight especially frankly my mom like I don't know why but um she would always comment like you're looking healthy Oh my god, healthy. She would talk about if a sibling gained weight, she'd be like, Oh, he's you know, he's gained some weight. And I was just like, Oh, she'll say the same about me. And I was so ashamed of that. And our mom has Um, had an eating disorder herself. So when she said that we were looking healthy, I think in my mind I associated that with fat. I don't know about you. Oh yeah. Like healthy, I still hate the word healthy. She calls me healthy still, but Man, like, if you've gained a little weight and the next time she sees you, you've lost it again, she'll be like, you look really healthy now. I don't know. So, yeah. Uh, I don't know. <laughs> it's words like are this very... middle ground that you have to be, I think. Um, I think because words I know she was. I do know she was concerned about me when I was very thin and multiple people in my life. They didn't want me that way when I was so thin. And, of course, I never admitted to anything to them. They would question sometimes. By them, I mean my parents. Especially my mom, like, she would question sometimes, are you doing okay? But it never really went further than that because, of course, I would lie. Well, okay, so let's talk about that. Well, this might be getting off track a little bit, but family upbringing and, like, I think the amount of involvement a parent has in their kid's life has a big impact on how they turn out. True. Yeah, Um, we were looking at different styles of parenting and how we thought about the theme of nurture versus nature. Yeah, so we did an Instagram poll about nature versus nurture. So nature meaning like this is just the way you turn out. Like it doesn't matter how you're raised. Your your own tendencies. Yeah, like it doesn't matter how you're raised. You're going to turn out a certain way because that's just how you are. It's in your genetics versus... Uh, nurture being the way a person's raised is what determines how they turn out. Yeah, how your background is shaped. Um, the majority of voters voted for nurture, right? right. Mm-hmm. A lot of them said both. Of course, there's a, a balance. I do fully believe that, you know, if I was raised in a different environment, or, you know, just under different terms. I love the people I was raised under. And yeah, we with. love our family. Don't get us wrong. Yeah. But if I was raised a little differently or just with a little body positivity sprinkled in there somewhere, <laughs> I could have turned out very differently because I see now that I do have this personality that tends to love herself and be confident in who she is. And, you know, that finally shone through. Yeah. So like, we were talking about how you came to this point. Yeah. 
so I can just say it was really gradually. Um, when I moved apart from my family and moved in with a relative, it was pretty encouraging. I was biking everywhere, so getting exercise, I know a lot of people slip further into anorexic or Edna's tendencies if they exercise more, and it's just, it's just nothing but bad news for that, but with me, it helped me like see my body as a machine that I needed to fuel, and I just felt better when I gave myself more. And thinking of like, oh, I need to fuel myself and it'll be easier to make this bike ride four miles to work. I just felt better on it. It was almost like a survival thing. Like I was working and it was so tiring and I was like, this helps. <laughs> yeah. But again, like I did have this thing where foods needed to be safe foods. They needed to be only healthy foods quote-unquote healthy well you became a vegan exactly so how much of that was tied into your eating disorder I think I was on the track for healing then I know also that like along with exercising more people also like veganism can hurt people in that place because I had a lot of conversations online and people were like oh that just made things worse for me but you told me that becoming vegan kind of saved your relationship with food that's the thing with me personally it helped so much it made me realize that I could have big meals and not freak out and it made me think of food as medicine basically mm. like you're having this food to help your body you know, it's not going to be your enemy. And because I was only eating really healthy foods, like when I say really healthy, to me back then that was just fruits, veggies. I was on an almost all raw vegan diet. So a lot of dates, bananas, apples, carrots, like, <laughs> but I had so many more calories than ever. And although I did gain some weight, I kept reading over and over again, like, this is just the process. Like, I think it was one, a vegan diet, two, having to exercise more, and three, being a part of some healing communities online that made me feel like this isn't something I really want to do, but I need to. And if I trust the process, I can get to where I want to be. Do you feel like you could have done all that had you been living with the family? It'd be less likely. I feel like with veganism, like they might not have supported that, especially since they were getting my groceries. Yeah. But also they might just kind of left off and think it's ridiculous. How, what advice would you give to someone who has no choice but to live with their family, but they're also trying mm. to have some control of their lifestyle and maybe recover? Yeah. I'd say if you can work and make that money yourself and just be like, hey, I want to be a little separate from you guys. I want to be self-sufficient and get my own stuff. And I say that carefully because, like I mentioned, some people do slip further into like, oh, I have to control everything. I can only eat these things and they like it makes it harder for them yeah if they are trying to heal it might make them slip further into the ways of their eating disorder so oh man that's a tricky one yeah you know I never felt safe enough to confide in my family members obviously that's like the quote right thing to do and not everyone has but like I okay it depends on the parents too I yeah. feel like if you had spoken with them they would have been supportive I feel like they would have sent me to a therapist or an institution and well, not they might have like, cried about it with me. Well, yeah, they definitely would have cried. Our mom would have cried. Yeah, because Our she's been still... through that. And imagine seeing your children go through it too. That's probably your worst nightmare. Okay, so our mom is very emotional mm -hmm. and wants the best for us. And if she hears that we're going through something rough, she just breaks down. Our dad is very logical and systematic or like he has a phd in humanities so he he's very pro therapy well, pro he was a chaplain in the military yeah so i think if if you go up to both of them and tell them that they're you're experiencing something like an eating disorder our dad would approach it in a more logical way like this these are the steps we can take this mm -hmm. is how we can get you help and our mom would like maybe be a little emotional but she mm. would i had a deathly fear of telling them because i thought we were on such good terms and I felt like they would see me as a child, and I didn't want them to think that I needed help with anything. Um, and when I developed all this, we had four people going through some really hard times. Um, we mentioned you, the other sibling, um, my mom. Oh, yeah. Our mom. I mean, my she... mom has been very our mom. Yeah. <laughs> she's, she's very open about her past, and... Mm -hmm. um, she has given me permission to say this on the podcast. She has struggled with um, addiction to prescription meds. 
And then um, our dad was going... Our dad has struggled with depression and PTSD. Yeah, PTSD, um, undiagnosed sleep apnea, which actually um, robs you of getting quality sleep throughout the night, and it can really have bad effects on your life. So um, this, this was all going on... At kind of the same the time, same like time. This terrible time in our lives. Yeah, it was, I mean, our family's a mess, but we love them. Yeah. And so um, there had been times when our dad got angry and that made me very fearful. And I just wanted to not be confronted, not be yelled at, not be cried to. <laughs> like, yeah. I wanted things to go smoothly and peacefully, maybe like I did when I was a kid. I mean, that's like just your personality. Yeah. But since I was the cause of strife, I was just like, oh, they do not need this in their lives. I will deal with it myself. I never told anyone. You never told Nobody anyone to this in my day. Life. You this kind is of... like the first time I've actually said it because I told you earlier, like I have moved so far past it that I feel free to tell anybody now. But it kind of scares me that if I were still dealing with it now, I probably wouldn't be telling you guys all these things. I probably would still want to keep it to myself. And that's really important to bring up to the people who are still struggling. It's so important to talk about this stuff. With anyone you can. Like, even if there's someone online, like, your friends will probably be more understanding than you think. Yeah, like, I remember... And if they don't, they're either just kind of unsure what to do and it makes them nervous or they're assholes and you shouldn't be friends with them if i could go back i really wish i had shared more with you like when we shared you a room, too i didn't tell anyone and we i mean we did so much on so many things and we talk all the time about them now yeah like this podcast yeah we talk but, about this shit all the time yeah and... we're like we should make this a new podcast because it's just natural I mean, Caroline and I have so much in common, but when it mattered, we didn't really talk to each other about it. And I wonder how much of a difference we could have made if we were open with each other. I I felt like you would have judged me or thought of me differently. Yeah. And in my situation, it kind of all blew up in everyone's faces, whether I wanted it to or not. And I was scared of that. I was scared of everyone being worried for me or seeing me as this person who can't control herself. And yeah, I feel because, like people thought of me that way. Yeah, despite, like, the whole thing being over, like, I needed to have some control in my life over how I looked, how I felt. I always wanted to be healthy, like, and I kind of had this skewed version of what healthy meant. But anyway, it was about being in control, but I actually was the most out of control I've ever been, I'd say. Yeah, I mean, that's the reality of it. You yeah. Know? I mean, I'm speaking from a place of not recovery right now. This whole trip has been kind of eye-opening because I've been really honest with Caroline about where I'm at. It's um, been really brave, I think, by the way. Like, I think even if you think someone has been through it and they're trustworthy, it's still hard to go out there and tell them you're struggling, even if recovery isn't in the forecast. Like, Yeah, like, I, I want to practice harm reduction. Like, I want to hurt my body as little as possible, even though... Yeah, that's a step. Yeah, it's a big one. Baby actually. steps. Communication is one. the first step. Like I, yeah, I'm lucky that Caroline has also dealt with this, and so we can talk to each other about this. Like, I we agree. can go to the gas station and get food snacks, and she'll buy this popcorn that she knows is a safe food, and we'll or like, I'll be like, "Is this okay?" Yeah, and I love we it. We can just talk like that. It's it's so nice. I check myself sometimes because I don't want to seem like. I mean, me too. I don't want to trigger you or... either. See, the thing is, it's amazing, guys. I never thought I'd be here where nothing seems to touch me. Nothing triggers me. Like, I thought it would always be this little demon on my shoulder. Because a lot of people who say they have recovered, and I believe them, they still kind of have these thoughts in the back of their head or certain things could... Like our mom, I think. Make them... I think so. I think she's the type where... I think it's most common for that to happen, where the person still kind of struggles with those thoughts all throughout their life. And sometimes I even think, like, did I have it as bad as others? Well, it's different for everyone, and I honestly think it, it is more common for people to always have those thoughts. Like, it, it's a mm-hmm. chronic condition, and that's totally fine. That's, exactly. You know? It is. And, you know, you're very strong for going day by day with those thoughts and resisting them. For me, it's incredible. Like, I've gotten past it. I'm, I don't even look in the mirror and think, that is perfect. That is exactly what I want for my body. But I still accept myself and love myself and am fine with it. 
And you're just, I just feel so positive when I'm with you. Like, you do? Yeah. I mean, sometimes it's almost obnoxious how positive you are. (laughs) Probably. I mean, this isn't a recovery podcast. No, guys. No. I mean, I know everyone is struggling and I just want to say, like, you can talk about it. Mm. And even if, you know, you're seemingly recovered, there's always going to be something you're dealing with and that's fine. Yeah, that's right. And, you know, I, I don't like myself all the time. And But what I traded for that, everything I traded in order to be the way I am now, that's just one little downside that I would take any day over everything I went through. Aww. Any day. Um, that's so I, I lift weights a lot now. <laughs> um, about five times a week when I'm doing well on my program. I've kind of, you know, I've let up on it a lot since I had a few, like, minor injuries and life's been really busy doing school and work yeah talk about how weight training has helped you yeah oh my goodness weightlifting was one of the best things that happened to me because with me personally it helped me again view my body as this machine that needs to be fueled and it's interesting because with weightlifting specifically getting gains as they say or um basically building muscle is actually a really positive thing and it it also teaches you that weight is very complicated it's not all about the number being smaller sometimes you want the number to be bigger or you know even if it is bigger or smaller it's about composition and this you know this might even trigger someone who's going through something that don't worry about it yeah but basically it teaches you to respect your body and to trust in processes it made me realize that how I look, yeah, it still matters to me. I can't say that it doesn't. But if I'm in a process and I know I'm getting somewhere positive and building something, it's actually a really exciting thing. Like and you're able to look at the big picture. Yes. And even if my body doesn't turn out how I want, that doesn't matter to me um, because I enjoy going to the gym and seeing how much weight I can lift and sweating it out and just it makes me feel so good and you know I have my protein these days I have so many calories in a day I don't count them anymore I don't have a specific look I'm going for like some people in the bodybuilding community they have specific goals and a specific body they want theirs to look like but I don't have that I just and trust that can, the process that can be unhealthy too I want to yeah point out. like people okay what is it um orthorexia what is that? I don't, I've heard the term thrown around, but I don't really know what it is. Orthorexia, as far as I know, is everything being very pure, and um, it often is like people who have veganism. Who have veganism? Like oh it's a disease. Oh my gosh! <laughs> cut out people who are. I'm not ve- going to cut it out. Please, <laughs> please don't do. <laughs> blah blah blah. You have to cut it out now. I'm going to scream into this microphone. <laughs> now you have to cut it out. <laughs> so. <laughs> oh my god god christina this is going off the rails we're gonna cut all this out i'll cut some of it out please cut not it all out. of it oh god <laughs> so orthorexia as far as i know is um having a condition where everything needs to be very pure and there's a lot of restriction of certain things often it involves cutting out a lot of foods because um in your mind there's this list of things that are good or bad You know, it kind of folds into anorexia as well. But for instance, um, a lot of people who are vegan but have struggled with anorexia, they become orthorexic. Okay. Um, I don't think the name so much matters. I think a lot of people have unspecified eating disorders and they don't want to admit it. Or a pile of them or, you know, a certain part of... Or just tendencies. Yes. You do not have to have a label, guys. Yes, diagnoses are important, but you know you're there and you relate so heavily like you for instance you were never diagnosed did you ever feel like that disqualified you from not at all because okay I thought about it when I woke up I thought about it midday and when I went to bed I couldn't sleep because I didn't have enough food um I remember waking up one time and my heart just beat so irregularly I was probably like 30 or 40 pounds underweight and I was like is this going to be the end? Like, I just remember feeling so frail and so sick and so empty and my heart just like beating really weird when I got up and seeing stars whenever I got up from bed. And I was like, I'm not doing well. Like, is my body going to fail me? I remember I always tell people like one day I 
I felt extremely guilty about eating like three or four grapes one day. I was like so guilty about it. And I kept thinking about it. And um, let me tell you, like, that's not normal. No. Um, and normal is different for a lot of people, but I stuff mean, like neither that. Like, you... is eating a ton of food. Yeah, like, that's also eating like, disorder not otherwise specified. You know, just, binging. Like, it goes no... on all sorts of spectrum yeah. points. Like, we're not here to diagnose anyone. Yeah, we're not here we're to not diagnose here to, anyone. Like, and we're not here to give everyone, all, but... like, a magic answer. Just, it's okay to talk about it. If you even have a suspicion that, you know, something's not normal, just bring it up to a friend. Yeah, or do your best to try. If we're talking about what helped me recover, I know this isn't telling people how to recover. No, just um, share your experience. That's what this but is yeah, for. But yeah, one thing that kind of got me through it all as well was, along with the theme of, like, treating your body like a machine, <laughs> um, I just thought, like, okay, I'm going to eat this, let's say it was a stick of string cheese or something, and I was like... Yeah, it has fat. Yeah, I'm definitely afraid of that. But it also has calcium. And I'm probably really low on that. Um, Anything I ate, I thought about what good it could do for me, even if it was kind of ridiculous. Like, if I had, um, even if it was something that was full of sugar, not something people would consider healthy, like a cookie or whatever, I was just like, okay, at least, like, I know I'm lower on calories than that's recommended. And even though I don't feel like that, even though I feel like, this is way too much. I can't possibly gain that much weight from this. Like, it can't do me much harm. It's a cookie. I think I think it was some form of harm reduction that helped me eventually get to a better place. Like I would just do my best to think like this is doing some good for me or this is better than the alternative. Focus so. on the positives and take baby steps. And that sounds so cliche, but it's true. Like you got yeah. you have to have hope for a better future. I think that's where you need to start. Especially if you are with your family still or maybe you feel like your situation's never going to change, you yeah. don't have a lot of control over it. Yeah. That's really hard, but there's always something small you can do for yourself. Um maybe you aren't in a supportive family and you can't talk to them. Yeah. Um get involved in online communities. There's always people who want to listen to you. Yeah. I think all in all your family definitely shapes you in huge ways, oh, but yeah. it does not determine your future if you don't yes. let it. It can, and, you know, it's easier to fall into whatever you've been brought up on, but... Yeah, I mean, it would be really easy for me and Caroline to blame our issues on our family. Yeah, but that's but... not it. Yeah. Like, in the end, I had control over what happened. Your family might be problematic but you can always change yourself you do have control over yourself not your family not your circumstances but you do have control over your actions and I think a lot of us although I think it's good to live in the presence it's important to reflect on the past too and how it's changed you or think about your thinking like why do I think this way what happened in my life that gave me this opinion of a certain thing if we reflect on our past we can learn a lot for the present but don't get stuck in the past either I think that can be really unhealthy oh yeah like for me I constantly think about stuff that happened in the past and what I could have done to change it it's a downward spiral oh man yeah you can't look at the past with regret yeah no regrets no regrets (laughs) yeah like so many great cliches that are like I just don't I don't believe in regrets so yeah a lot of stuff happened in the past that I don't like but I don't believe in regrets I think I try to focus on how like what I can learn from them and just move on and it is exciting to think about the future it's scary but I try to look forward to it and set new goals for myself yeah like you've you've already lost the time that's the past so don't give it more of your time in the present it's a new year you guys we have a whole year to get shit done so focus on those goals focus on little things you can do to make your situation better to make yourself like yourself more i don't know just get out there and have fun you deserve some fun that's true and just realize that your family has had an effect on you that's just a fact but it doesn't have to determine your future and you have control over whether you stay close to them and what you got from them or not like they have a limited time of influence in your life oh can I say something of course (laughs) I think it's so important to realize that you are allowed to cut off your family if you Mm. think it would be good for you Mm -hmm. um a lot of people say blood is thicker than water like family is family 
you know, you can choose your friends, but you can't choose your family. Mm. But it's totally okay to cut someone out if they are harmful to you. If there's nothing good that comes from that relationship, it's totally fine to just cut them out. Mm. And you might experience some backlash from it. I'm not going to say that there's going to be zero consequences. But also know when someone has good intentions and they're just going about it wrong, like think if I told them how harmful this is, maybe they would listen to me. This relationship could be healthier. And it's all about communicating that. Like if someone clearly has good intentions, but they go about it the wrong way and it's harming you, if you can tell them that it's harming you and that gives them the chance to change their ways like maybe even suggest what would help you if they approach something differently or more sensitively i think cutting someone out should definitely be the last possible resort yeah but i mean some people just don't change yeah and that's an unpleasant truth from experience with friends even so you know better than anyone what the situation is and how it makes you feel gauge it thoughtfully but yeah for sure great discussion I, this was all over the place. It's all over the place, but you know what? I love so... it. Like this is how our conversations normally flow. Like this is a natural conversation between me and Caroline. We we talk on the phone for hours, and it's just like this. It's and like... we still feel like there's so much we didn't touch on, and so many paths we could have gone down that we didn't because it's just I'm gonna cut that out. Never end. This is amazing podcast episode. I got an email from someone who wants to be anonymous. She says, hello, I haven't had a very long history with mental illness, only truly realizing my issues shortly after starting college at 18. I'm 21 now. However, it's only because starting college that I've gotten to really know myself without my parents and brother. When I think of mental illness, I can never not think about how we were born and raised. There's always that huge debate, nature versus nurture. To me, I think 90% of who we become and how we change throughout our life is nurture. I've had a rocky upbringing with my family and suffered emotional abuse growing up at the hands of the people I should have had caring for me. Mm. That really puts a strain on how a child grows up, develops coping mechanisms, and overall their self-image. I am currently seeking counseling to help me deal with childhood traumas and the issues that still have an effect on me today due to them, major anxiety and poor self-image. But it's getting better every day the more I explore myself and continue to address my thoughts and issues. So to wrap it all up, here's my question slash theme to explore. How do you think the way each individual is raised affects their mental health in the long run? Nature or nurture? Dun, dun, dun. (laughs) Um, So yeah, we kind of talked about this already, but um, what do you think? How would you? I think in the long run, things like your background and how you've been raised can definitely make it a lot harder for you, but you do determine your future. I agree. I think some people just have been held back by their background. And maybe some people's nature makes it easier or harder for them to get past something. I do think both fold into it majorly. Growing up, there was a lot of authoritarian discipline going on in our house. And for those that don't know, um, it basically means laying down the law, but not explaining why. Yeah, focusing on obedience, punishment, and just doing as I say. It's a very structured (laughs) background, like a very structured um, approach. And some people thrive under that. Like I I have a, a couple siblings who are very disciplined and structured themselves, and they have very positive experiences like they do well under that kind of approach yeah but again like I have a few more siblings who do not thrive under those circumstances at all like they react very negatively to that myself included it just depends on your personality I think there definitely um was less of a focus on relationships because of that seeing parents as authority figures and you can't be a friend and an authority It's just one with that style. And I think, of course, it was their intentions to be friends with their children, you know, to for their children and them to mutually love each other and respect each other. But there was this idea that we were the kids. We never knew better. And regardless of why, like, these were the rules. Yeah. And when you're brought up that way, it's just hard to be friends with your parents like even as an adult and to confide in them I think like yeah yeah seeing, that's the thing like I know I can talk to them now but as a kid I had this fear and I talked about it but 
in my head, they would think of me so differently. In their minds, they would shun me and just think of me as a trouble-causing kid. And you definitely develop coping mechanisms to deal with that inadequacy. And I know, like, this person mentions she had, like, emotional abuse growing up, and I'm so sorry you had to deal with that. It definitely puts you at a disadvantage later in life. You know, when you get out of the house and you've suffered that kind of stuff, it's hard to figure out how to live like a normal human being. And I'm glad you are in therapy. I think it's so important for anyone. That's a big step. Yeah, it's a big step. Good for you. talking to someone and, you know, that's brave, I think. Yeah. So, I mean, I know Caroline mentioned this earlier. It's really important to reflect on the past and to explore maybe this is why I feel the way I do now and then just let it go. Like, once you figure out why and you've dealt with it, don't fixate on it. Just let it go. True. Like, everything you hear about, stay in the present. Like, it is good advice. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. That's what I do generally. I just know that I've learned from the past, and now I can forget about it, basically. (laughs) Like, I hardly ever think about those days anymore, which I never thought would come to They're kind of all a blur to me. I never thought it would be (laughs) that way, and it's very refreshing. I'm so happy. I'm so proud of you. This has been great. (laughs) It's so cold up here. I want to go downstairs and watch a movie. Yeah, I've been trembling this whole time. I don't know if it's weather. Well, we just had a shit ton of coffee, and it's also freezing up here. So we're just sitting here hunched over the microphone, like shaking. And we're talking about kind of like stuff we feel very strongly about, and I think that's why I'm shaking too. But who who really knows? It's it's the mystery. Caroline has to catch a 3 a.m. flight tomorrow, so we are going to make the most of our time together and have some fun, break out the hummus and the wine. Um, Yes, watch some movies, because you guys know now that I'm obsessed with them. Caroline is obsessed with horror movies. I keep name-dropping movies. She... Oh, horror movies. (laughs) Her movie choices the last few days have fucked me up, so we're actually... (laughs) I'm picking a movie tonight. But they're quality horror movies. Shut up. We're watching something of my choice tonight, so I we're going to wrap your this. taste in movies, so no worries. <laughs> oh, my God. Let's wrap this up. <laughs> Let's wrap this up. I hope you guys have a great first week of 2019. Actually, by the time this comes out, it's probably, like, halfway over. I don't know. More like 50 years because this was so long and we're going to have to edit it. <laughs> but we love you guys. Yeah, I'm so glad I could join you. <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay, bye. Have a great week, guys. Bye. Bye.